Hey, everybody, we are live. Tyler just joined us, and we're switching to the main screen so he can get on with his introduction as soon as he gets there. You ready? Welcome. Welcome, one and all. We are going to have fun today, even though um, we had a little bit of technical issues because my computer decided, hey, I'm not going to work very well. So, welcome to the show. My name is Tyler Fornitz, and as you saw, producer Dave up in, ah, dang it, that the streak of points is done. I messed it up, even though Dave's not even on the screen. We're going to have a fun show tonight. We're going to uh, briefly um, preview the starting lineups for the Minnesota Vikings, which really don't have a ton of intrigue. And I am going to build my ultimate starting 22 of all Vikings in history. Sit back. We're going to have some fun. Welcome to the Real Forno Show. Tyler Fornes, contributor at NBC Sports Edge, USA Today's Vikings Wire, Sports Illustrated's All Seahawks, along with being a member at Climbing the Pocket. Good evening, and Good welcome evening. to the Fun Zone. I am Tyler. That is Dave. We're going to have some fun here tonight. Dave, hmm. I bought a grill today. Let I saw that you. on Twitter. Let me tell you, transporting a grill home is harder than I thought because it fell down in the bed of my truck. That was no fun. Um, I had it I had it strapped. It still fell down. So, I know. I've loaded airplanes. They, you strap it down. There's easy ways to do it. And it'll make sure it won't move and fall down. I, I did. And I thought I had it strapped down pretty good. I did not. And that was very frustrating. Pull off on the side of the road and having to redo it. Mm-hmm. Very humbling feeling. But we're going to humble you all with some Vikings knowledge here today. And we're going to talk briefly about this Vikings starting lineup. Which... There really isn't a lot of intrigue. Um, the Vikings starting lineup on the offensive side of the football. Offensive line is where you're going to see the most of it because you're going to have Kirk Cousins. You're going to have Cook and Ham in the backfield. You're going to have Jefferson, Thielen, and Osborne as your starting 11 personnel set. The offensive line is where we have any form of intrigue at all. Obviously, they've said Garrett Bradbury's not going to have any competition. But then Doogie said that uh, Chris Reed was told that he would be able to compete for the center job. And then you also brought in Jesse Davis on a $3 million deal, which, hey, if you bench him, it's fine, whatever. But you don't pay a guy $3 million just to have him ride the pine all year. You're paying him because you're expecting him to play. That leads me to believe that Jesse Davis is going to probably end up either as the sixth guy rotating in consistently or as a starting right guard. And in that starting scenario, scenario, you're going to see Chris Reed overtake Garrett Bradbury. <laughs> I think what's going to end up happening is you're going to have, uh, going from left to right, you're going to have Darisaw, Cleveland, Bradbury, Reed, and O'Neal. You think but Reed center, versus Jesse Davis? Uh, Jesse Davis is a literal traffic cone. So I, I, I think Chris Reed is going to be able to win that job relatively easily. I don't really see Jesse Davis being much of a factor. And if Jesse Davis ends up being good, I will be glad I was wrong. 
Well, his scores when he played guard only were a lot better yeah. than just when he played when other positions. That's true. Um, now, Chris I, Reed had higher scores than that, but for some reason they don't seem to want to have Reed compete or that I'm seeing him compete. And nothing's final until they get on pads and start hitting each other. So, but that's the only intrigue I see on the offense is who's getting that right guard spot. Yeah. I'll, I'll also to say start. this. Dave, it's a tough one. It's a very tough one because I'll say this. I really haven't done a whole lot of film study on Davis. I go by at when I've talked to the people who have. Mm -hmm. um, and the people who I've talked to that have done the film study on Jesse Davis say he's a literal traffic cone. And it's not worth your time. Well, then hopefully Wyatt Davis ste steps up. I hope so. Um, defensive side of the football, going to be a little more clean cut. There are a couple spots where you could be like, hey, who's going to be the guy? That's going to be cornerback. But defensive line seems relatively set. You're going to have some combination of Tomlinson and Phillips. And then the third spot, probably Armand Watts or James Lynch. Uh, your outside linebacker, edge rushers, Zadari Smith and Neil Hunter. Barring injury, that ain't changing. Um, Jordan Hicks, Eric Kendricks, unless we get some kind of insane preseason for Brian Asamoah, that's not changing either. Harrison Smith, Lewisine are going to be those safeties. Cam Bynum has a shot to be that safety. I feel like they're going to use him more in a nickel hybrid role where he's going to play in the slot. He's going to play that nickel. And then you can obviously flex him out wide if you're doing three safety looks and you want to just kind of uh, be truly multiple with your sets and then the cornerback Patrick Peterson's probably going to be the guy. Then you have Cam Dansa. You have Andrew Booth Jr. Who's going to be able to take that out other spot. Um, those and maybe Cam Bynum gets some play there. I don't think so. It's probably going to end up being Dantzler. I, let's be honest with ourselves. Um, PFF kind of uh, gassed him up a little bit. Cam Dantzler. Um, and then the local beat writers uh, kind of ran with it. And there's a lot to like with Cam Dancer, but part of the problem with the PFF rankings is it's it's not always perfectly contextualized within the scheme of the defense. And even though he wasn't necessarily targeted, and he, he was still at fault for a lot of blown coverages. And I think you, that's where you have to really pair the two together. Because sometimes the player can just completely mess up and they're not penalized like they should be with those grades. I love PFF. Wonderful tool. But as with every tool, it is not perfect. And that's something that I think we need to remember when we're talking about Cam Dancers. He still had a lot of brain-dead moments out on that football field. How much of that had to do with Mike Zimmer? How much of that was because he was having to think too much? And we all know what Zimmer expects of his cornerbacks. He expects a lot. He expects them to be able to think on the fly, and he expects them to have precision consistently. Well, maybe that's not Cam Dancer's game. Maybe he just needs to not think and just react and play. And that could be a massive benefit for him in this Ed Donatel defense. I think he's too much of a wild card to really predict anything from because 
We've seen a lot of good. We've seen a lot of bad. I I, I genuinely don't know. Um, Mike, I'll say this. PFF, they're not fools. They are incredibly intelligent, nice people who have a different way of thinking about the game of football, which in turn makes the space and football itself better. Are they perfect? No. Uh, But at the same time, then you have film guys. Like, that's where my roots are. I'm not perfect either. Uh, neither is are some of the people in the space that I really respect. Um, it's just the way it is. Nobody's perfect. If you pair the two together, you pair analytics, you pair film, you're going to get as close to perfection as you can because the analytics are going to tell you more about what you're seeing on film, but you can't only use analytics because you, it's coming from the film. So you have to balance them out. And I think sometimes people lean too hard one way or the other and don't want to learn and contextualize the other. And I would warn you from really trying to bury PFF. I know um, uh, like there has been some contentious debates with people in the analytics community. At the end of the day, if you treat them with respect, they'll treat you with respect in return. I'll just say that much. Um, Dave. Hmm. Any qualms or comments on the potential starting 22 for our Minnesota Vikings? Oh, I think Dantzler is going to start. I think what we saw last year, yes, there were some times that he was like, oh, shit, um, moments. I still think he's young. That was in the Zimmer defense. It was better than Brashad Breeland. And why Brashad Breeland started over Dantzler. That was a Zimmer thing. Um but there are times when he played extremely well. I think he can hold up. He is getting bigger physically. That will help. I think the new defense will help. And he didn't do badly, terribly badly last year. And everybody makes mistakes. It could be mm-hmm. O'Neill gave up a first sack last season, I believe. And, you know, stuff like that. Those things happen. Kirk Cousins, believe it or not, can throw an interception. I know it's rare it's hard to see sometimes, but everybody does make mistakes. I think Dantzler's the better bet. I don't think Booth will be starting week one. And what we're talking about, who's going to start week one, I don't think Booth will. Um, and I went with the, the basic 3-4. So you've got your mm-hmm. three center guys, which I think is Tomlinson, um, Phillips, and Watts. you got Z. Smith and... Hunter on the outside. You got Hicks and Kendricks in the middle. I think those are solid. You got, I think, Sign's going to start. Sine's going to start. He's a first-round draft choice. He has talent. He's probably going to start. I don't think Bynum will. I think Bynum's going to get a lot of play time, but I don't think Bynum's going to start. Obviously, Harrison Smith on the other side. Now, the corners is the issue on the defense. I'm hoping Booth overtakes Peterson eventually, and it's Peterson and um, the needle because they will both be young and they could last a long time and it'd be good for the future. That's what I'm hoping. And then on the offense, you're basically right. The question is going to be the right guard position because I think week Mm -hmm. one we're going to see Bradbury start whether he deserves it or not, and it's going to come down to who wins that right guard spot. And everybody else is set. Yeah, I, I agree 100%, man. It's it's going to be interesting to see how that offensive line shapes up because at the end of the day, 
and something that I think we lose sight of in a general sense. It is not about having elite players. It's about having a solid group with no holes. Mm-hmm. And right now the Vikings have a massive hole at right guard, and they have a decently sized one at center. They finally have a left guard. Ezra Cleveland is a average to above average guard. That's all you need. You don't need elite. You need average to above average. And, and he's improving. He's on the improvement. Yeah. Right. And uh, so. think about this. Having Cleveland next to him, and then let's say Chris Reed is average to above average as well, that inherently is going to help Garrett Bradbury be better. Mm-hmm. And because they're, oh, hey, all of a sudden, hey, you only have one hole. We're just going to attack Bradbury. Well, guess what? Hey, Chris Reed, slide over and help. Hey, that's for Cleveland. Slide over and help. And you can compensate or for having one keep spot. keep C.J. Ham in there and go, take the guy coming up the middle. Bingo, it's, bango, bongo. There's it's ways to help that when you have one hole versus two holes. Um, it, it, it improves it very much so. And the Purple Haze, I, you said let's get through camp first. The whole purpose of tonight's show is to look at um, Tyler wants to look at the all-time 22, the greatest Vikings that have ever played. But we also wanted to say, if it was today, who would be the guy starting for the Vikings going into the 22 season? And that's what we started out with first, and we just debated. Yes, there may be things that change in camp. God forbid there's no injuries. And uh, may the best man win at each position. Mm-hmm. Dave, absolutely. This is where it's going to get fun. We are going to talk my all-time starting 22. I have not told Dave anybody yet. Nope. So we're not going to have any fancy graphics. We're not going to have anything like that. Um, well, but it is going to... But... Yeah. Well, of course you do. You're the producer. You're the man. But you don't have any just super prepped ready to go because you know what I'm about to say. There you go. Um, the court... The... <laughs> The quarterback position was one I debated on heavily. So I set two ground rules. One, they had to have played for the Minnesota Vikings in the regular season. Okay. That was mandatory. Two, you had to have some sort of base personnel. You weren't going to be able to be, hey, we're just going to run five wide all the time. No. it. We're going to use somewhat of a traditional sense. I used a 4-3 because until now, the Vikings have really never deployed a 3-4. Uh, as a base defense. And I used, um, I did use 11 personnel. I, I did use three wide receivers in today's game. That is a base offense. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that made the most sense, especially when you take a look at the talent that the Vikings have. Quarterback was the most contentious position of all of them. I mean, de- the defensive line has a lot of studs and there were guys I left off that really hurt, mm-hmm. but you have on that defensive line, you have, I think, five guys currently in the Hall of Fame. You have two guys who are about to get in the Hall of Fame, and one guy in Jim Marshall, who I don't know how the hell he's not in the Hall of Fame. Like it it's a talent, it's a position of riches for the Vikings when you're talking that defensive line. That's gonna be contentious. Quarterback is where it got really tough. You have three guys that played for the Vikings that ended up on my top ten quarterback list. Brett Favre. Warren Moon, Fran Tarkington. Mm-hmm. And having to kind of figure that piece out was really difficult. Um, and I did end up picking Fran Tarkington for the sole fact that even though 
of those three players, I think overall he was slightly worse than both Favre and Moon. And he ranked at 10 on my list where Favre was at three. and Sorry, Favre was at four and Moon was at nine. But Tarkington is the first great and you could argue only great quarterback that the Minnesota Vikings have ever had. And I just thought that that longevity means something in this conversation. And his ability, both as a passer and as a scrambler, he was not a running quarterback. He was a scrambling quarterback. He scrambled to make plays. He did not scramble to run the football. Michael Vick was a runner. Steve Young, for the first half of his career, was a runner. Jake Plummer was a runner. Fran Tarkington was not a runner, but he could run. And I think that is the big difference. Aaron Rodgers can run the football. Russell Wilson can run the football. They don't scramble to run. They scramble to throw. And that uh, Fran was one of the OGs in that sense and really pioneering that style and showing that you could do that while being a great passer. And it, that was a true era of statues. And we talk about air, statues being, hey, the 90s, you have Troy Aikman. Like, John Elway could run, but he wasn't, he wasn't like, super mobile in that sense. Dan Marino was the prototypical statue. Then you transition to the next generation. Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, Phillip Rivers, all pretty much statuesque quarterbacks. So having... <clears throat> having Fran Tarkington be kind of that pivotal player in NFL history in that he wasn't normal. He wasn't a standard. He was the anomaly and he was able to make it work and be great at it. I think <laughs> and that he, he deserves this spot. And when he retired, he led the NFL in yards, in touchdowns, and uh, nobody, nobody had come close. He was just yeah. literally that good. In his early career with the Vikings, they wanted him to be the statue. Um, mm-hmm. Try to remember the coach before Grant. It was uh, Norm Van Brocklin. Van Brocklin wanted him, and Van Brocklin knew football, and Van Brocklin knew that you know drop back, stand, look, survey, blah, 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 style. But that wasn't Tark, and. They would butt heads, and it got to the point where Fran Tarkington was like, no, I don't want to be here. Send me to New York. You know, give me a train. And off to New York he went, and then he came back when Bud Grant came, and Bud said, dude, do what you want, right? Bernsey's going to design the offense for you. Do what you want. Do what you need to. You're golden. And then mm-hmm. we'd see, see him running around and spinning and back and forth, and he's always looking downfield and squirming away here and, you know, and then suddenly Ahmad Rashad's busting down the sideline and bam, right? And that's, he was so dynamic. There wasn't another quarterback around at that time that played like that. And it was amazing. And he was so, so good at it. And I think without a doubt, he is the greatest of all the Vikings quarterbacks. Now, when you said they've had to play for the Vikings, I thought, hmm, well, that brings up some of the one-season wonders. Yeah. You mentioned one. Warren Moon had a great season. Uh, two. Two of them. And uh, Cunningham, 98 season, was fantastic, right? Then he fell off the cliff in 99. Mm-hmm. Brett Favre, 
2009 was fantastic up until that crossbody throw. And then 2010, he fell off. You know, age caught up with him. There, uh, and though all those guys are good. We've had some very good quarterbacks over the years. But when you talk to talk about who's the best for the longest time and set league records, it's Fran Tarkington. Now, the other one I thought you may approach is Dante Culpepper. Culpepper had a relatively brief career, was five or six years with the Vikings, and he did extremely well. And it was 2003 when he was running up for MVP. When I did my research on adjusted value on pro football reference, he had tied for the max AV points by a player in a year. That has since been um, passed by the Buffalo Bills quarterback. And uh, But at that time, he was that good had, and had that much production. But when you talk about it in the big picture, there's only one, and it's Sir Fran. Mm-hmm. No, 100%. And I'll say this. If I were to build an all-time 53-man roster, which I will probably do, I will have m- bigger constrictions to what quantifies a Minnesota Viking. Um, Moon and Favre would not have made those qualifications. And in that sense... Dante would be the backup quarterback. He would be the clear-cut number two for me. And uh, we've had the debate uh, with both Culpepper and Cousins so many times on this show, and I don't want to keep rehashing that. Um, but it's it's just Culpepper's just special. And he would be, he's also the epitome of what you would want in a backup quarterback. He's got the ability to win you games. He can do stuff with his legs. He provides a different element than Fran because he has that cannon accurate arm. And he's just built like a Mack truck. More of a runner uh, in that sense than Fran Tarkington while both were mobile. Yeah, more of a fullback runner. Yeah. When you're building a 53-man roster, Culpepper is the kind of guy you want as your backup if if you have a clear-cut starter like you do with Fran. So that would be a conversation. Um, we're going to move on though, because we have a lot of position, um, groups to get to running back is going to be very easy. It's Adrian Peterson. Um, Chuck Foreman was great. Dave Osborne was really good. Um, you had, uh, cups of coffee from Roger Craig. Terry Allen was really good in the early nineties. Robert Smith was a big consideration for me because of his true dual threat ability and his intelligence. But Adrian Peterson is a top five running back in the history of football. Where you want to put him is a is an interesting discussion. I think I, ha- if I remember correctly, I have him at three. He is not better than Gail Sayers. He is not better than Walter Payton. I could be talked into Barry Sanders, but the way AP ran the football to me was more impressive than what Barry did. Um, even though what they did is completely different, and you could argue that Barry is more impressive. But some of the things that Adrian Peterson did, um, carrying a lifeless Vikings offense to a super, to a playoff berth, winning that MVP, like the two thousand yards in that era of football, is much more impressive than what than Barry doing it in 
his era of football because that was right before Terrell Davis did it. Um, like th- there, there are guys aren't doing that many off. guys that have hit two thousand. There, uh, that it's was impressive. So, like, at no matter what era, uh, of I'm not saying it's not. I'm not saying it's not. That was kind of the peak of the two thousand yards, like ninety seven to two thousand three. You had, you had, I believe it was three or four guys. Oh, I you had some sure. good running backs at that. Barry time. Sanders, yes. Terrell Davis, Jamal Lewis, and then shortly thereafter, I think what. 05, Chris Johnson did it, and then Adrian Peterson did it in 2012, which to me is a, the more impressive 2,000-yard season in a vacuum just because of the era of football had evolved so much. But you want to get into the semantics of running backs. Gale Sayers, is number, sorry, Gale Sayers is number one, and I will fight people on it. Gale Sayers is the best running back of all time. Um, we're going to move on. Wide receivers, is this is going to cause some controversy. Justin Jefferson did not make the list. And that was a tough decision, but we have two years of data on him. The other guys, we have a lot more information. And I just like, and you could argue that all three are better than Justin Jefferson right now. Um, Two of them are already in the Hall of Fame, and one of them is with the Buffalo Bills. Uh, You have Stephon Diggs, who got that third spot over Justin Jefferson. They are on the same level. Whether you take Justin Jefferson over Diggs, whatever, that's fine. I have more data on Diggs. I believe he is currently a better player, and I I think it is incredibly close. Um, Yes, Joseph, Rich Gannon, awesome player. Dennis Green didn't trust him. And his peak is arguably better than Franz, does not have the longevity. So that's why I made that choice. I really like that you mentioned him because he deserves some discussion on a later date. These receivers, <clears throat> Diggs, Jefferson are on the same level. Diggs has been doing it for a lot longer. Therefore, right now he gets the spot. Jefferson, I assume, will take over for him in a couple of years, maybe three or four. If you want to put Jefferson, I don't care. That's fine. I'm taking Stephon Diggs. Um, and then Chris Carter, Randy Moss, self-explanatory. The only other guy that I really thought about, I thought about two. Anthony Carter, Ahmad Rashad. Rashad, I did not give as much thought to because I just think his his peak just wasn't quite at any level where he should really be considered here. But Anthony Carter, Anthony Carter averaged 24 yards of reception in 1987. 24 yards of reception. Like, that's astronomical. That's stuff you don't even see in college football. Like, what he was able to do was pretty special. And if he would have been able to last... so. He got to play a couple seasons with Chris Carter. Oh, baby. That would have been something to watch. What about Jake? Do you have any? I just don't think he's he's uh, he peaks at any kind of level. Uh, he had with, like, like seven 1,000-yard seasons in a row. No, that was Chris Carter. No, Jake Reed. I have pro football reference up right now. Dave, yeah, we're going to pull it up. We're going to find it. I got to. Pulled up too. You're looking at now there were four, in a, four in a row. Look, I love Jake Reed. Jake Reed's a fantastic football player. But would you take Jake Reed over Stephon Diggs? I can't do that. No, 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 no. And and but I, I'm not sure. I, I also, want Diggsy there as third though. That's fair. Who would you put as third? Probably AC. And that that's that's a very fair argument. Moss is obviously I, number one. Carter. 
who had all the records when he retired, number two, and then probably AC. But there are some good, very, very good wide receivers in the history of the Minnesota Vikings. But and those would be my top Adam three. Thielen. We didn't even mention Adam Thielen. Well, not Adam and, Thielen, and there's uh, yeah. Gene Washington, and there's, there's been Sammy a ton White. Of Sammy White. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to the offensive tackles, Dave. This is We've going to be one ones. where, oh, yes, we have. I strongly considered Bryant McKinney because even though he was inconsistent, Bryant McKinney was dominant, he was a mammoth man, and he truly paved the way for Adrian Peterson in those early years. I didn't take him. The two Good. guys I did take are both in the Hall of Fame, Ron Yeri and Gary Zimmerman. Yes. And you really can't go wrong with either of those guys. If you don't know much about Ron Yeri and Gary Zimmerman, both were first-round Vikings draft picks. Ron Yeri was the first overall pick. Was that 1965, I think? Like Yeri was a dominant force on that Minnesota Vikings offensive line. And so was uh, Gary Zimmerman, but in the eighties. And then a lot of people remember him with this cup of coffee with the Denver Broncos winning those two Super Bowls in 97 and 98. Gary Zimmerman was a very, very good tackle for a long time. Both deserve their place in the hall of fame. I, I debated with Todd Stucey and Corey Stringer kind of thought about it a little bit. Uh, especially Corey Stringer because he died so unfortunately young and never really got to see his full career play out. Which and is I, a shame, I, but yes. Uh, yeah, 100% a shame, and I think he could have been at that level. He never got there, and that's truly unfortunate. I'm going to go with center next because that is also a guy that played in, this, in that same era, Mick Tinglehoff. Mm-hmm. Um, and... He played on an offensive line with Ron Yeri. Uh, just a really good player, also enshrined in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. The Vikings have a, an impressive lineage of offensive linemen considering their struggles over the past decade. And that's going to continue with arguably two of the top five guards in the history of the National Football League, Randall McDaniel and Steve Hutchinson. Randall McDaniel, first-round pick in 88, had the weirdest – Stance, Stance of all time. Yeah, where he had the one leg at the perfect 90-degree angle, and then the other leg was basically at a down slope, and the ankle looked like it was about to snap in half every time he lined up. But you don't break – you don't fix what's not broken. Is it weird? Of course. Did it work? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Were there issues? No. Who cares? Reggie Miller shot like this. He didn't have the gooseneck. He pushed the ball. And guess what? It worked. One of the best three-point shooters in the history of the NBA. Don't fix it. Just just adapt. And I think the Vikings did a great job not fixing that specifically with uh, Randall McDaniel. I did give some small consideration, Dave, um, to a longtime Minnesota Viking, um, David Dixon. Mm-hmm. Just a really good stalwart player. But as we've talked about a few times already, the peak – was not there to really put him on any kind of level with Hutchinson and McDaniel, right. even though he was a true Minnesota Viking, um, played his entire career here. Um, last year was that 0-4 season where Dante Culpepper had that really nice run. 
Brian mentions Dixon in the comments. Um, he's worth mentioning. He would probably make a 53-man roster because of his ability to play both sides of the line. You could put him to tackle if you needed him to, but you don't want him there long term. He's a guy that could be your, your like your seventh or eighth guy in that room, mm-hmm. and you'd feel pretty comfortable with it. Any qualms uh, with the big big nope. boys? I didn't. I didn't think you would. I thought you'd be pretty happy with this list. Um, we're gonna move on to the defensive line, Dave. This is where you and I could fight a little bit. I. I struggled with this. This was very difficult. And I'm going to start with with Edge. Um, I have Chris Dolman and Carl Eller as my two edge rushers. Um, I did leave off uh, Jim Marshall and Jared Allen. It was really hard to do that because both of them should be in the Hall of Fame. But Dolman was special. And he was getting like a dozen or more sacks for the Niners in his mid to late thirties. And then he had that one last cup of coffee in 97 with the Vikings before he ended up calling it a career over 140 sacks for Dolman, just a Mm -hmm. true dominant edge rusher with speed, with power, great hands. He could do a little bit of everything. And Eller, Eller and Page were the two best Vikings in my opinion of the purple people eaters. That includes Paul Krause, who we'll talk about a little bit later. That includes Jim Marshall and Gary Larson. Like those two were the catalysts for why the Vikings are so good on defense. They were so good. Yes. Um, Do you have any issues with my selections at edge, Dave? No, believe it or not. That's fantastic. Well, defensive tackle. We'll see. I almost picked Kevin Williams. Yeah, I almost picked Kevin Williams. I am a unabashed Kevin Williams fan. I love, 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 love Kevin Williams. And I think he's just a fantastic player. Um, Believe it or not, it's John Randall and Alan Page. And it's, Mm -hmm. it was really hard to leave off Kevin Williams because I think he's one of the better interior pass rushers I've ever seen in my life. Uh, he was dominant for a good eight-year period, but John Randall, undrafted free agent on Texas A&I, just, just said, hey, I'm going to make it, and you're going to have to play me. And then he ended up getting over 100 sacks. Dennis Green needed him to play on the outside in a, a lot in 1997, some in 98 and 99, because they were just – hurting at edge rusher, even though they kept trying and trying and trying and trying to bring guys in. And he played Randall out of position. Randall just became an all pro. No big deal. Uh, That's just the kind of player he was. He was able to adapt and be successful all across that defensive line, despite his less than average size. He was what? Six and three quarters inches and like two seventy five. but it didn't matter because he was small. He was quick and he was thick. That there wasn't a wasted ounce on John Randall. He was muscular. He was able to use leverage, get up underneath the shoulder pads, use his quickness to dip underneath offensive linemen. He knew how to win, and he knew how to play the game of football, and he did it very well for a long time. Um, Alan Page helped Buddy Ryan create the 46 defense. He was a dominant force on the inside of, of that defensive line for the Purple People Eaters. 
And then he spent his the rest of his life serving as a Supreme Court justice in the state of Minnesota. A truly special individual that was also special on the football field. Hard to leave him off. You can't. How do you feel? How do you feel about that, Dave? Pretty good. Mm-hmm. I've I've got no disagreement so far. On wow. That. Um, that's. I thought we might fight a little bit with the defensive line, but that's no. good. No. Hey, we've had a wealth of riches. It's hard to choose. Kevin Williams was good, obviously, um, and we've had some great nose tackles when we've uh, played those. But if you're going to pick. Mm-hmm. Two defensive tackles, two defensive ends, and a basic four, three. Um, yeah, Page, and without a doubt, without mm-hmm. a doubt, Henry Thomas want, was good. Um, if you here's 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 one argument I'll make. If you want to make it a like, if you want to build it like a real four three, you're taking out either Randall or Page, and you're probably subbing in Pat Williams. Or Linval Joseph. Take your pick. You want that gap-eating, true Ball nose tackle. Too. Jerry Ball I love that, that. Pat, but... Yeah. Um. And I, and that that's where you could make an argument that you take out Randall or Page and you put in one of those true space eaters that were really, really good for this team. Because then you're truly building a starting 22. That right. That isn't... <clears throat> That's one I will I would listen to. I'm okay rocking Randall and Page and just being a little undersized because they're just that good. Mm-hmm. Linebacker is interesting, Dave. This is where the Vikings have not had an abundance of riches, and I'm taking two players: um, Scott Studwell, arguably the best linebacker in the history of the Minnesota Vikings, and then served in the scouting department for over 25 years. Uh, helping craft some really good Vikings rosters. And then this one is probably going to be the biggest shocker of them all. I picked Anthony Barr. I don't think there are a lot of great linebackers in the history of this franchise, but I'm also doing it uh, from the standpoint of I want to build a starting 22. Barr's peak and what he's able to do on the football field was so undervalued by a lot of people, Dave, because what he was asked to do never showed up on the stat sheet. Like I think, I think what Anthony Barr brings to the table is is special, but you there are only a couple other guys you could really think of that you would potentially put over him, and that's part of the issue. There's not a lot of wealth here. You have Ed McDaniel, Eric Kendricks. That's about uh, Chad Greenway. That's about it. Am I missing further? anybody from the seventies? Yeah. Roy Winston. You're missing Matt Blair. Oh, Matt Blair. That's the one I'm missing. Wally Hindenburg. I knew I would get you riled up at some point, Dave. I didn't think you'd be linebacker. Now, we have not had great long-term. It's not like our defensive linemen or defensive ends where we have a plethora of, of them in our history where you're fighting between this Hall of Famer and this Hall of Famer. Right? It, it's not that. But if you go way back then, when linebacker meant something, um, <laughs> that, that's a throwback. A linebacker was very much the focus of the defense. 
the the linemen were supposed to eat up the blocks and let the linebackers take on the holes with the running back coming through, right? Pass game was secondary uh, back in those days, but they were supposed to make tackles and supposed to stop people at the line of scrimmage. They did that. We didn't have a big wealth of them. We've had some good ones, but nothing terribly spectacular. I'd probably put Matt Blair on that list, but that's me. I, I bars, bar's okay, and Barr did a lot under the Zimmer defense, and especially his ability side to side, but Kendricks does a lot too, and I think paired together they did well. Yeah, Andrew brings up Jack Del Rio. Jack Del Rio had a decent career with the Vikings. Mm-hmm. Um, there, people they we've had some good linebackers, but there's no instant Hall of Fame linebackers in our history. Yeah, and but thinking about it now, I'll probably go with Matt Blair over Anthony Barr, but. I think we just, as a collective whole, Dave, we didn't appreciate what Bard did for us enough. And I'll stand by that. And well, I mean, He's played his whole career for the Vikings, and it looks like it's over now. But Yeah. If, if, you, if you want to take another guy, that's fine. Um, Andre no, I... Crockett. Andre Crockett was good. Um, I, will, I have a autograph from him on a – Land Rover visor of all things, um, because my dad, one of my dad's close friends, his girlfriend at the time was a sales rep for Land Rover, and uh, when people would come in, she would get autographs for us. It was you mentioned Ed McDaniel, right? I did mention Ed McDaniel. I was a big Ed McDaniel fan. Um, I thought it was cool that they had two McDaniels on the team, and to my knowledge, they weren't even related. Yes, I screwed that up on Saturday. That's okay. <laughs> I don't know. It's, I, Darren said he wanted McDaniel on his top four, and I picked the wrong one. So, yeah. All right. Two more positions left, Dave, and then we're going to call it a night. Okay. Cornerback. Another position with not a lot of riches. There aren't a lot of great Vikings cornerbacks. It's not a position I would say that the team has historically ignored, but they've been historically. <laughs> content with just having good, solid players and prioritizing other positions. Would you say that's fair? Mm-hmm. Okay. So my three cornerbacks, Nate Wright, Carl Lee, and Antoine Winfield Sr. And I, I'm more than willing to debate this because you could talk about Pete Xavier Rhodes being on there. I uh, would. You, uh, that's who I was thinking of. I throw Xavier yeah. Rhodes up there, um, but Antoine Winfield Senior, best pound for pound tackler in the league. Uh, I yeah. loved him. Um, but no, yeah, the Vikings one, have not had a riches at the corner position. Carl Lee, yeah, that this one was is a good hard. One game changer. Winfield and Carl Lee, mm-hmm. and then I'd throw Xavier as the third one. Yeah, and. I picked Nate Wright because I, I thought that for his time, he was a very, very good player. And it, I I kind of weighed his performance then over just having really a peak of Xavier Rhodes. Xavier Rhodes' peak was what? 
two and a half, three years, and then he just went kerplunko. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm I'm comfortable having Nate Wright over Rhodes, but I get okay. it. No, and I and that's fine. The argument. Um, Pro Football Reference has Nate Wright over Rhodes. Mm-hmm. All right, last position, Dave, because we're not doing specialists because we have dealt with enough pain in our life. Well, Fred Cox, but. Yeah. Jan Stenerud, the inventor of the soccer-style kick. <laughs> Fred Cox, inventor of the Nerf football. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's a fun story. Yeah, if you have some time, I believe there's a small documentary on YouTube about Fred Cox. Find it, seek it out, very good. Um, safety. This now, is going to get people- some good ones. Yes, we have. This is going to get some people riled up because Harrison Smith did not make the list. Um, it is Paul Krause and Joey Browner. Paul Krause, the NFL leader in interceptions to this day, I believe the number is 77. Joey Browner, first round pick of the Vikings in that famed 1983 draft. Just imagine, even though they had Tommy Kramer, imagine if they would have been the team to take Dan Marino. And we know mm-hmm. Dennis Green almost almost got Dan Marino here in the late nineties. God, I was uh, screaming for that too. That's about the time yeah. I started talking Vikings football. Mm-hmm. I hadn't started writing yet, but boy, was I opinionated when Marino. I wanted Marino bad. Mm-hmm. That would have been really cool. Game changer, Waswasaranga. I raise you, Kenny Wright and Chris Dishman. The Vikings loved grabbing corners at the end of their career. Denard Walker was kind of one of them. Um, he was more of a middle of his kind of career guy, but he was definitely on the downslope. Everybody remembers Chris Dishman from those Oilers teams. Um, at, well, the Vikings had him in 2000, and he got beat on the Antonio Freeman back catch. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Um, uh, Krause's yeah. interception record is 81, by the way. 81. Okay. Well, thank you for the correction. Um, and it's not going to be surpassed. That's one of those that's going to mm-hmm. That'll live forever. Yeah, until um, we go back to option football. That it'll happen eventually. It, it everything always comes back in into play, but it'll probably take a long time for that to happen. But now PFR, yeah. you, we we selected uh, Kraus and Browner, which are the correct answers. Number three is Harrison Smith. Yeah, Harrison Smith got a lot of consideration here. Because of his intelligence, his ability to um, disguise, his ability, his athleticism, he knows how to play the game, and he knows how to play it with a very, very high and smart level. I love Harrison Smith, and if this was, and with the NFL tra- starting to transition to even more three safety looks, he could be in a base package in three safeties. Mm-hmm. But I decided that I wanted my nickel to be Antoine Winfield Senior because one, he, he was, was the best at it. Mm-hmm. And he could have been an elite safety at the end of his career too, just because of his skill set. He had the size, he had the uh, the great brain, the vision, and he was an elite level tackler. So it's hard to leave Harrison Smith out. But this is a Vikings franchise that has been historically great uh, for sixty years. They just haven't had that peak yet. They've been they've had great seasons. They've had great teams. They've had great runs. Football Outsiders uh, labeled the Bud Grant Vikings uh, the best um, dynasty, quote-unquote, to never win a title. That's true. So, like, this is – oh, Orlando Thomas. thank Game changer. Thank you. Orlando Thomas deserves some love here 
because he was fantastic. Unfortunately, the man uh, ended up contracting ALS and passed way too early. I will never forget this one play, Dave. 1996, I believe it was week 13 against the Denver Broncos. I'm probably wrong on the week, but I don't even care. The Vikings were up 17-14 to going into the end of that game. John Elway orchestrated a comeback. They got like a 4th and 20 or some bullshit. Third down and essentially goal inside the 10-yard line. Throws a pass. Gets batted up into the air. Orlando Thomas has two opportunities to catch the ball. Instead, bats it up. Doesn't get it. Drops into Ed McCaffrey's arms and he scores a touchdown with like 21 seconds left. I will never forget that play. It's one of, it is my earliest Vikings memory. That was, that was a tough way to lose a football game. But yeah, he was great. He deserves some consideration, but I, I don't think he could get any higher than fourth on this list. Yep. It's a good list though. It's a good list. I hope, I hope we bust that hump. And uh, finally win the big one after 62 years. Dave, I agree. I agree. But uh, initially, we're going to try and do this. I hope we can get this done before the season starts. Mm -hmm. I want to get a panel of people, and I want to have a draft. I I want people to draft a Vikings lineup. Right. We're going to like draft our 22 players and we're going to see who can build the best team. And I'll, br- I'll bring in an arbitrary judge to see uh, who did draft the best team. Um, Dave may end up being that guy, but it, I also made just bring somebody on at the end and have them guess who everybody was or uh, which lineup was the best based on just a blind reaction. Cause that's the best way to do it. Right. But, um, Steve, I didn't select a coach, but the coach would be Bud Grant. It'd be Bud That's, Grant. There's no it'd be, there's no it, it'd be Bud sense. Grant. Um, I'd probably make uh Dennis Green his offensive coordinator and Mike Zimmer's defensive coordinator, if that makes you feel any better. But and then Rick Spielman's probably the general manager because he was really good at identifying talent for a long time. Was he perfect? Hell no. No general manager is perfect. That's not the that's the nature of the business. But uh, I think you you can make a really compelling argument that he's the best this franchise has ever had. Um, but we're going to end up seeing that uh, come here. I'm going to try and get that set up with some really cool um, pundits who are experts on the history of the Vikings. Uh, and we're going to try and get that set up. Um, Game Changer did see that AP is going to um, box Le'Veon Bell. And I have this cool fire stick gimmick where I can watch that and not have to pay for it. So I'm going to do that when that, well, that comes up. That, because that tells you his football career is basically done. I feel for him, but mm-hmm. he also made some decisions in his life that um, that's why he needs the money. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, he made, when I see it today, $106 million over his career, 116 somewhere in there. And, and he's worth he, negative four. Yeah. I that's feel for the guy. But um, anyways, we are gonna we're gonna sign off for the night. Um, Dave is gonna kind of run us down the week, but I do want to let everybody know um, there will be no show next week. It is the fourth of July, and I'm gonna be spending some time with family. Um, we should be back on the 11th. 
And if, if uh, that is not the case, you will be the first to know. We will communicate that immediately. Um, so I want everybody to enjoy the 4th of July. Uh, I know it's it's been a tumultuous time in the country, especially uh, with Roe v. Wade and how divided that that issue is. Just try and remember what America stands for. Freedom. And enjoy being free to spend time with your family. Just just remember that and be thankful that there are people willing to give their lives to make sure that we have the ability to have that freedom of choice. Dave, special thank you to you for doing that for us for so long. And I would My like pleasure. to I would like to give you the floor to tell us about what the network has going on this week. We may have a Vikings happy hour. We may not have a Vikings happy hour. Don't know yet. Uh, Matt has got back with me. We will have two old bloggers once again. And if you missed it on Saturday, and why would you? We went over who is the greatest Viking ever. We went back through history and modern. The only thing we said, it wouldn't be Kirk Cousins. But however, surprisingly, he made one of the lists. Surprise the heck out of me. Go check it out if you haven't already, and you'll see the list, how I broke down the numbers out of pro football reference and came up with the correct answer there at the end. But there was four different ways to look at it and four different greatest Vikings. So if you haven't seen it already, check it out. Guaranteed you'll learn something and have a good time. And Darren and I will be back again Again, Saturday, talking what? I don't know yet. We'll figure something out. You know, I, Dave, you're going to have to have me on the show sometime. I need to talk some sense into Darren. Why? What? You were doing what? Top five lists, right? Uh, we did top 25. Oh, okay. Did top 25. I, I don't have a problem with that. That's fine. Um, I'm no, going to end up building We one focused of on the top five. The top five was pretty. Pretty well set. It was. It de- depends which way you look at it, but it came up. Let me pull that up real quick. Uh, show prep. Uh, when it's all said and done, I don't agree with the entire list, but I do agree with the top part of this list. Okay. Alan Page, Carl Eller. Fran Tarkington, Randall McDaniel, Randy Moss are your top five. Whoa, um, Dave, we need to talk about this. Culpepper at seven. I love the Culpepper respect, but man, putting him ahead of Dolman, Peterson, and Yeri, and Randall, uh, that's too rich for me. You got to go watch the show and see how I figured all of that out. Oh, I'm... You know, I know you put in the data, and I know you put in the time, and I, I respect the effort. I'm going to take the time because I just got back from the lake yesterday, and I have not been able to consume two old bloggers yet. So that's on my list of things to do this week. Please do. Because, like I said, I took pro football references, AV data, and we looked at it a couple different ways. They have both AV and then they have weighted AV. Use that, but I also looked at it a couple different ways. Come out with different answers on different lists. 
and uh, but it and then that last one that I just had up there is a combination of all of them. But I prefaced the show that it's all subjective, right? How we feel about our players can vary. It's it's like Joseph likes to talk about whiskey. I like to talk about whiskey, but I may like this whiskey. He may like that whiskey. And how we think about whiskey may be a little bit different, but neither of us are wrong. We both like whiskey, right? You like whiskey. It's it's just a deal. You know, my favorite tight end wouldn't even make the list. Jimmy Kleinsaucer. The best tight end, Steve Jordan, didn't make the list, which blew my mind, right? And you know, Dave... I don't. I think we skipped tight end for we some did, reason. We didn't skip tight end. It was Steve Jordan. Yes. Steve Jordan was the tight end, and I really don't think it's close. Shanko is the only. Shanko uh, is the only one that I considered other. There would be a backup. Yeah. And maybe, maybe Andrew Glover, but man, his peak was like two years. Right. But the peak was pretty good. But it's. I'm gonna build. I'm gonna build this list. We're gonna talk about it. But go check out how I went through all this. And like I said, it's based on their adjusted value metrics. It's not yeah. It's not all my opinion. Now, the answers I got at the end for the top five are my opinion. I agree with those, 100%. Right? It's uh, I have no issue with that. But uh, some of the bottom ones, I might move around. But this is what yeah. AV does. And the AV is the only... PFR and their AV stat is the only one that covers since 1960, you know, the league that we yeah. can that we can access. So I tried to bring in as many hard facts numbers into it as I could, quote the analytics, and uh, put it all together. Watch the show. I think you'll be pretty surprised. I was on a couple spots. So, and it I will check it out. I'm going to Stu hey, Voigt. Yes, of- Joseph, you are 100% correct. Besides Jordan, Joseph Stu with- Voigt. Joseph with a good take. Like mm-hmm. that's that's not surprising at all. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, uh, make sure you go check out Cool Bloggers from this past Saturday. It is in the archives on the Climbing the Pocket YouTube channel and the Daily Norseman podcast feed. You are going to want to check it out. On top of that. You're go- You're also going to want to make sure that you, you keep tuning into the network because we're going to have more stuff coming as we continue to wrap things up in the offseason. And we're about to kick off 2022 where a true new era has begun with Quesito Fomensa and Kevin O'Connell. Something we haven't been able to say where the true new era since the Triangle of Authority was formed in 2006. <laughs> So mm-hmm. it's it, we're going to have a really fun time, and there will be – it may not be a complete fun time because we're going to lose some games. It's, it's football. It's going to happen. But it's going to be a very interesting ride to see how this thing truly develops and can Kirk Cousins evolve his brain to make sure that he can make those throws that he needs to make to win football games. In the meantime, from Dave, myself, thanks for letting us turn your money to purple, and Skull Vikings, everyone. Thanks for watching. Like, subscribe, and ring the bell, and rate us on your favorite aggregator. And a special shout-out goes to our partners, The Daily Norseman, where the best Vikings content can be found, and 
to Lake Monster Brewing, home of the best beer in Minnesota. Skull, everybody. Skull, everybody.